Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, We guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Ben Golver with The Washington Post. I am joined on the other line, as always, by Michael the Pod, Pina. Michael? I am officially still in the NBA's Orlando bubble. They haven't kicked me out yet. I'm hanging in there, sort of. Hopefully, everybody's following along on social media. I'm trying to crank out as much Instagram and Twitter stuff as I possibly can. I wrote a long uh, essay that posted on the Washington Post Thursday, kind of breaking down what my life has been like here in the in-room hotel quarantine uh, since Sunday. You and I are now talking on Thursday. So if I've lost my mind, uh, hopefully it's only a portion of it, Michael, and not the entire thing. (laughs) I told you before we started recording off air that I've been getting text messages from people that are worried about you. Yeah, well, I understand that. I think there's a lot of rubberneckers out there. There's kind of people rooting for my insanity, (laughs) I think, at this point, unfortunately. I'm now really curious, though. What are you saying uh, in response? Are you distancing yourself? Are you like, look, man, I only do a podcast with this guy. Are you standing up for my honor and saying, oh, he's just funny on social media. Everything's cool. Are you trying to maybe play both sides of the fence just in case this thing goes south? Like, what's your general uh, response here? Just a deadpan, no comments, and then I don't respond to any other text messages that people are sending. (laughs) Well, Michael, congratulations. Not only are you the co-host of Open Floor, you are now my uh, director of communications. I really appreciate that. Um, In all seriousness... I think I've settled in you know, pretty well down here. Um, just as a quick update, they're testing me every single night um, or afternoon now. I am four for four. I had no issues. I know there was some discussion about you know, what one media member had a false positive. That would be incredibly scary uh, getting down here, being away from your family and, and going through that experience. So I feel for her. Uh, you know, From my standpoint, it's been pretty smooth. There's been an unbelievable amount of interest from around the globe. We've heard from a bunch of our listeners, Michael, but also 
just media outlets that don't even necessarily cover the NBA are all, you know, looking at Orlando and saying, how does this testing work? How are they trying to keep people safe? What's the campus like? And so I think from that standpoint, the NBA, you know, we had talked about, are they going to be on center stage? Um, You know, is their decision-making process going to kind of be held up to the light, you know, from other outside entities? And I think that's exactly how it's playing out so far. Uh, In addition to all the goofy stuff about who's fishing and who's playing cards and all that stuff, I think people are taking notice of what's going on down here. It's like a fascinating social experiment, all things, uh, like all the depressing side factors aside. That's what it is to me. I mean, you've got all these people in this ecosystem and you have them operating with completely like abnormal rules and regulations. And it, it must be just really strange and weird and so I can understand the fascination from other outlets and other people who don't normally partake in what is happening with the NBA. Um, when can I jump in and ask you questions about what's going on with you? Because I, ha- I have a couple off the top. Some are goofy. Some are a little bit more serious. Well, I, I, I love this. I mean, you just want to take over the show again, which I really appreciate. <laughs> Let me just say uh, quickly, I mean, I do feel a little bit like a lab rat. You know, mm-hmm. I have to give my vitals to this, these unseen doctors, right? So I'm giving my temperature, I'm taking my pulse reading and all that every single morning. I have to fill out a questionnaire. They're taking saliva from my throat and, uh, you know, boogers from my nose basically every single day for my coronavirus testing. I had to sign away an awful lot of stuff to even be down here in the first place. And so that all that kind of invasion of medical privacy, that's one part of it. But there's also this part where like my... my um, editors and my co-workers at the Washington Post, they want video. They want uh, audio of, of me describing, you know, what's it like down here. You know, I do all these podcasts uh, with you and, and other podcasts as well. And we're getting so many questions. What's your life like down there? I, I really do feel like I'm kind of in this little test tube and all these people are just looking down, peering at me and, and kind of wondering like, what's going to, you know, what's going to happen here? Is it going to go wrong? It's a, a very unusual feeling. And so along those lines, I guess, I'm in that mentality like Patrick Beverly where the bubble is what you make it. So I'm just trying to lean into it, you know. So I'm putting out these, uh, you know, the the workout videos where I'm pacing around my hotel room because honestly, <laughs> like, that's what I do. I, I want to work out. Like, what am I supposed to do? I can only... Uh, only get my steps in here. So I put that out, you know, trying to, you know, keep it on the lighter side as well. I, I do still sense both inside the bubble and outside the bubble, some real anxiety and rightfully so, you know, I mean, if you look at the number of positive tests for players before they got down here, Michael, more than 40 players tested positive. So that's more than 10% of the people who are expected to be here in, in uh, Florida. That's a big number. It's a scary number. And it's nice to know that only two people tested positive uh, since they've been in Orlando. But still, to me, the stakes still feel very, very high. Um, now you have that uh, situation where a player is going to get postmates and now they're throwing him back in the quarantine. To me, that would actually kind of put my mind at ease. You want strict enforcement of these rules. If you're in the bubble, you're only as good as the weakest link and you don't want there to be any uh, weak links. So all the jokes that are being made about the postmates and stuff on Twitter, like for me personally, that's not funny. <laughs> like It's like, oh, great. I'm glad he's back in his hotel room for 10 days. I don't want to accidentally uh, come into contact with him. So I mean, there are a few different things going on, whether it's from like a medical ethics standpoint or, you know, whether it's just from kind of some of these big picture thoughts that are going through my head. But I do want everyone to know I'm, I'm doing just fine, even though it feels like the whole world is looking at me right now. Yeah, the, the pacing video that you mentioned really reminded me of like 
minute 15 of a really good horror movie where it's just like you like the 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 most terrifying aspect has not occurred yet but it feels eminent and We're waiting so on it. <laughs> exactly um <laughs> just a steady build but i really wanted to ask you the double planking video with the beds that you posted recently correct uh can you just explain like what is happening with that and like what is the even the physical benefit of that movement it is just it's confounded me i have not asked you off air about it i believe i sent you a dm uh when you posted it on instagram and you did not respond so i have to call you out right now oh my god really i always respond michael i'm sorry i know so i i knew i thought i might have struck a nerve there so what is what what is the double planking how did that how did you discover that what is what is going on there so after i put up that pacing video and literally if anyone hasn't seen it it's just me walking back and forth in my hotel room for about 30 seconds for whatever reason all the nuts out there on twitter had that go viral so almost a hundred thousand people watched it so i very quickly started hearing from home workout companies offering me free subscriptions to their home workouts and like here's you know different things you could do instead of just walking i had a couple of our open floor glow members who are physical trainers send me in different plans of things that I could do. And one of the (laughs) things that people had mentioned was planking or just working on your core strength, right? So I was sitting here minding my own business. Look, I have some time on my hands. I literally cannot walk out my front door. So I saw the two beds and I was like, huh, I'm pretty tall. I'm, I'm pretty long. I wonder, could I plank across this thing? And if I could, would it be an entertaining enough visual? So I started with photos. I sent a couple photos around to people and I was just getting like just LOLs and like the little crying, laughing face, you know, uh, coming back. And I was like, all right, so I'm on to something here. So that just egged me on. So then I was like, how can I take this to the next level? And of course, everybody wants video these days. So I was like, all right, a video of me just laying sideways isn't going to be that entertaining what if i like face plant into the bed and then i'm planking and i just you know shoot that out like it's a vine um needless to say that worked out pretty well i tried to turn it into a challenge michael i was thinking like we're all stuck in these rooms with two double beds (laughs) maybe like a mark stein or a joe varden or a rachel nichols or someone like that is going to hop in on this it's going to become this big social media wave still waiting to influence the influencers on that one haven't been able to get anybody else to really uh uh, hop on but you know it's just all in good fun what i didn't expect though is the sound that it would my head would make when i hit Mm -hmm. the bed because there's this huge just smack sound and it will it'll it'll shake you up if you're not ready for it if you've got your sound on on your phone so i just encourage people to listen with their sound on but uh, i'm trying to come up with these little skits you know it's just like yesterday i was trying to stack up as many water bottles as i could to see if i could go from like my floor to my ceiling um i only got about five before they tumbled down and Uh, So I don't know. Like I said, you're trying to make the best of a very strange confinement situation. And I thought I was prepared for this because we've been in confinement for four months, you know, but I was always able to get at least go outside and walk in my neighborhood, which really helped me clear my head and keep my balance. And I just don't have that here. And so, you know, even going outside for like 10 seconds a day to get my uh, my nasal swab done is like so refreshing. And I almost tell the test guys, like, slow down, take it easy. Like, I want to milk this experience. I could take in this fresh air uh, because the one window I have doesn't open. 
Yeah, isolation is not good for mental health. And, uh, like, I can just imagine you're two days away from whittling two sticks together in the corner trying to start fire. Um, so hopefully that we don't get to that point. But if we do, I, I do want video of that. I would like to see it. Um, well, I you, actually have like some of those uh, fire extinguishing uh, things like the, the sprays in this room. So that might mm-hmm. be a bad idea because I would just end up soaked and they'd probably have to send firefighters over here. I don't yeah, know if that but, would like require me to restart my quarantine or not. Probably not. But rest assured to any Disney employees listening, I will not start any fires. I'm good. Right. I'm doing great. Like like I said, please videotape it if you do. Um, you know, the question of getting the test and being able to actually communicate with other human beings. I'm just curious, how many people have you spoken to face to face who are not the people who the medical professionals who are conducting the test? Is it is it zero or I'm just a little confused here? Zero. Um, I have oh. talked to the lady who can, <laughs> the, oh, wow. I talked to, I talked to a lady on the phone who answered it with like, Disney is the happiest place on earth. And I'm like, yeah, about that yellow wallpaper. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, she, uh, she got me some new capsules, some tea capsules for my Keurig machine in here. Um, so mm-hmm. I've talked to her. I've obviously talked to a lot of my fellow media members for, for various interviews and shows. Um, I've talked to my editors almost every day. They, they're doing a really good job of checking in on me. I think there's a little nerves on their end. I'm not going to lie. I think they're, they're feeling the same way watching my videos that you are. Um, I talk to the testing guys every time they come. We had a nice conversation one night where they were explaining things to me. And honestly, I was just making small talk, but we just kind of got going. So that one wound up being about five minutes. Other than that, I have nodded at the, the Disney staffers who walk by and pick up the trash and, and deliver the food. Um, haven't said any words to them. I've said thank you, and, and they've already escaped, you know, 10 feet away from the door uh, because mm-hmm. that's kind of part of the policy about social distancing. So they'll say, no problem, you know, but other than that, uh, you know, no real uh, human-to-human interaction. It's weird, man. I'm telling you, they're, they're taking this thing very, very strictly. They're not messing around. Have you ever lived alone? Uh, for sure, yeah, yeah. And actually, I prefer it. I've worked from home by myself for more than a decade right so i'm i'm already deep into the like talking to myself game you know like i'll i'll mutter under my breath have entire conversations like that um you know every once in a while i'll make a workshop a take for a podcast just to myself out loud so um i I think i'm probably more prepared for this type of experience especially after going through the quarantine than Mm -hmm. the average person but it's still definitely different because you know everything has changed. It's just a whole different environment. It's not home. Um, I never would stay at a Disney hotel, so even that stuff is different. I, I'm really used to the Marriott stuff. So like everything that's different here between this and like a courtyard Marriott, it always throws me for a loop. Um, so yeah, I'm hanging in there. Look, I mean, I'm comfortable. I feel safe. I don't know if it's a false sense of security because you know I haven't actually had to interact with basically anyone since I've been here, but it is a really big campus. I feel safe here, safer than I expected and definitely safer than I felt when I was flying. Um, so that's a good sign. But I also, more than anything, I'm just excited for the hoops, man. Like I really want to get these basketball games started because it, it feels like we're getting closer and it feels like we have a really good chance of, of seeing everything that we've been waiting for. Yeah, I mean, I just asked that question real quick about living alone because this whole situation reminds me of when I first moved to L.A. I lived in my own apartment um, and for a year and didn't really know anybody, knew a couple people, but, you know, L.A. is very 
uh, isolating in a lot of different ways. And no one was in my neighborhood. So didn't see people in person. And then on weekends where my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, would go out of town, I literally wouldn't leave my apartment for like two or three days. And by the end, it was like I couldn't construct sentences. And I I wasn't like doing podcasts or anything like that. This was before that. But I I can it reminds me of just like that experience and how that frazzled my brain in ways that I wasn't anticipating. Um, But before we get to basketball, I have one more question for you uh, about just what you're doing and like how weird is it for you to watch like you know the nba bubble watch twitter account and just see people i.e nba players having so much fun in the general vicinity of where you are but you (laughs) cannot have fun with them or like partake in the same activities how does that does that feel weird well, does it feel weird when you're just twisting this knife into my body deeper and deeper? How does that feel for you, Michael? Um, well, here's the thing. Like, I'm a lot less fun as a person than the average NBA player. So I'm kind of used to it, right? I'm not really feeling that much FOMO because it's like, well, my life is writing and taping podcasts and going for walks. That's what makes me happy. So I'm good. Um, you know, I, it is funny because I could see some players every once in a while walking uh, along this little courtyard below my hotel. And, you know, it's this idea, we're always talking about access, you know, as media members. And it's like, yeah, I'm in the mm-hmm. bubble. I've got this great access. And in reality, I'm like physically barred from even like waving at them. <laughs> so that part's a, a little funny for sure. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is and you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Hey, we got an, uh, an email here from Thaddeus, uh, one of our longtime listeners, and he emailed us open floor mail 
at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. And first things he wanted to say was, I want to point out that the common terminology used for sports around the world right now is either pods or bubbles. Given that Michael is the pod, does that mean that Ben now needs to be known as the bubble? And I've had a lot of people call me bubble Ben, bubble boy Ben, uh, you know, bubble bound Ben when I was heading cross country from LA to Orlando. Michael, are we now the pod in the bubble? Is that what's happening here? Or are you going to reject this idea? No, I, I like this. This is good synergy. Um, when you call me to do these pods, I usually respond with hello, bubble boy. So I think that this is a good <laughs> fit and uh, it makes a lot of sense. It's, a, it's good for us. All right. I'll take it. Bubble boy, Ben. Um, no, Thaddeus had more important topics he wanted to discuss, basketball topics. And Michael, I was hoping you would lead us through this conversation because uh, he, uh, Thaddeus, recently read a story about eight x-factors for the playoffs and it was written by kurt goldsberry uh one of the x-factors was chris middleton i think thaddeus was a little bit worked up at this idea that people were being too hard on chris middleton for maybe not having a great series against the raptors last year and and he was pointing out well you know we need to take into account the fact that middleton was being guarded by Kawhi, and they were going against a really good raptors team and, and besides that he had some great moments against boston um i think uh, what we should do is use that as a jumping off point do you see a player like Middleton as one of the biggest X factors in these playoffs? And then when you're making your own list, Michael, of, of those kinds of guys who mm-hmm. could maybe swing this title chase or, or change a series or just upend narratives, like what are the kind of criteria that you use for that? I think sometimes I default to like star guys. You know, a lot of times I'm just mm-hmm. circling stars who it's like, hey, you have something to prove. If you step up, it's really going to work out well. If you don't, things could really fall apart quickly. I think a great example of that last year would be Kyrie Irving, you know, just a massive question mark X factor uh, determining the entire fate of his team. Other people define X factor more as like, you know, a third or fourth scoring option. If he gets hot, you know, it could change a game. Like, what do you use for that uh, X factor conversation? So for me, I primarily look at guys who are just incredibly unpredictable or I just like don't know what I'm going to get from them. I could get like from game to game. I, you know, you could get 25 and 12 one night where the, their team outscores the opponent by 12 points when they're on the floor. You could uh, you know, the next night they could shoot 2 for 13 or not even take any shots and be terrible. So like I, those are the most interesting players to me and the ones that I would I would define as X-Factors. So, like, I get what you're saying with superstars, but for me, if there's a star or a superstar, I kind of have a baseline expectation for that player, and it's not even worth discussing them if they consistently struggle because then their team just won't win, and we know that. But if they play at the level that they should, then it'll be... I mean, that's just, like, what is expected of them and what... Uh, can kind of dictate how good their team can be or or how bad their so, team can be. It sounds to me like variance then is a big factor for you, basically. Like you've got to be able to at least reach a high level at some point. Otherwise, it's like we're not even, you know, if we know you're going to suck. Who cares? You're not an X factor. Right. And then also with, you know, we go into the po- every postseason with our, our list of X factors and who we're looking at and what we're intrig- intrigued to see. 
But for this particular postseason, I think that an X factor can expand to uh, you know guys who you know no one has played basketball in four months, so even there will be more familiar names here uh, on my list of, of X factors. I'm looking forward to see just because they've been in the news for a variety of reasons, and I have no idea what they're going to look like when they step on a basketball court. For sure. The whole league is X-Factors right now. Well, let's start with Middleton. Does he deserve to be in this conversation? Yes or no? And what do you make of Thaddeus's argument that maybe uh, you know, people are being a little too hard on him? I would not say that Middleton is an X-Factor. I think he's earned... I, I agree with Thaddeus. I, I think he's earned uh, you know, two straight All-Star games. He's averaging... Uh, Uh, over 20 a night, shooting 50% from the field. He's kind of settled into what he is in Milwaukee's system, and he's just a perfect complement to Giannis. And that team is just so good. And so if he was a little more up and down this season, then I can understand people doubting him and thinking that he could struggle uh, in the playoffs this year. But I don't know. I think he's, like, he's not... If I looked at that team and was looking at an X-Factor, I would be more focused on someone like Eric Bledsoe, who has really struggled and been inconsistent in the playoffs uh, throughout his time with Milwaukee, or even Brooke Lopez, who, while he is able to defend or impact the game on the defensive end consistently in the way that he does in the drop coverage and the rim protection, uh, you know, he has not shot the three ball particularly well. So I think one aspect of him being an X factor would be, you know, if he goes cold for an entire series or if he goes hot for an entire series, that could win or lose it for Milwaukee, depending on who they're playing. So I would say that those guys are more of X factors, in my opinion. Uh, and that Middleton just deserves a little more credit for everything that or, or I should say for the production that he has kind of had uh, this season. I think it's a, a really good read on all of that. I mean, To me, my typical definition of X-Factor is more of a player like Middleton, but I think in this particular case, Milwaukee's X-Factor is definitely Bledsoe or just however they handle that point guard position if he, for whatever reason, continues to struggle. One thing to watch with Bledsoe, I mean, a lot of his playoff stress that he has described having anxiety before games, he doesn't have to go on the road. You know, He doesn't Mm -hmm. have to go play in Boston. He doesn't have to go play in Toronto. There's not going to be the hecklers does he wind up benefiting from that? And something we talked about with Ben Simmons previously, like is he going to shoot better or more confidently because there's no crowd there, no expectations? Uh, That could be a real boost because Bledsoe has historically kind of fallen off a cliff in the playoffs, not been comfortable in that environment, you know, forced things, overcompensated, not shot the ball well. If he settles in in Orlando and it's like right back to being a middle school AAU tournament, that could be great for them because they know, you know, you know exactly what his physical talents are. Now, one thing I wanted to bring up uh, with regard to Brooke Lopez, remember last year in the Eastern Conference Finals, uh, Milwaukee goes up 2-0. Mm-hmm. In that first game, it was a tense game. You know, I was actually there, um, you know, covering that game one and fully expecting Milwaukee to win that whole series, by the way, and, and actually expecting them to do it in fairly quick uh, order. They were struggling for a lot of that game, and then Lopez hits four threes, finishes with 29 points. I think it was the highest he had of any playoff game last year. And that's when Milwaukee felt like, oh, not that they're unbeatable in the Eastern Conference, but they felt very, very uh, scary because it's like, look, you're not going to stop Giannis, really. You're going to slow him down. Middleton is who he is. 
Uh, this is a, a well-balanced team. And if the seven-footer is hitting four threes on you in big moments, like, what are you supposed to do? And uh, for the rest of that series, you know, he really only had uh, a few other moments along the way, never really got completely on track, especially as the uh, series was slipping away. He wasn't the kind of guy who could step up because so much of his offense is relying upon his teammates and it's so three-point mm-hmm. heavy. It's like those shots go or they don't. You're just stuck on, uh, you know, basically flipping that coin. So, uh, you know, he's a player for sure who I think should be viewed as an X factor because the difference between Milwaukee looking unbeatable and winning the title and the difference between, you know, them on the other end looking vulnerable, a lot of it does come down to his shooting. Right, 100%. And... What's funny, while we're on the topic of the Bucks, I was going to bring this up later when I kind of scrolled through my list of, of guys who I thought were significant X-Factors. But to me, when I look at Milwaukee, Mike Budenholzer is the biggest X-Factor here, right? Like, what is he going to do in terms of adjustments? Uh, is he going to extend Giannis's minutes? Is he going to trust Eric Bledsoe? In a situation where Eric Bledsoe maybe struggles for two straight games, does he lean heavy on George Hill, who has been really fantastic all season for them? Uh, is he uh, amenable to going small, playing Giannis at the five? Uh, does he really? Uh, is he? You know, the 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 system that he's implemented in Milwaukee has had obviously a ton of success, but it is rigid and. You know, will he go to a more switch-heavy defense with versatile uh, personnel instead of someone like Lopez and take him off the floor and take away his three-point shooting? So I just think that a Budenholzer, who is a very good coach, but uh, I think you, it's fair to point to uh, his performance in that series against the Raptors that you were mentioning um, as, like, not the best and I wonder what he's learned from that and I wonder how flexible he will be going forward and whether or not the if the Bucks win or lose at all like how much we'll look at Mike Budenholzer as the reason why or the cause for their demise are you phrasing this a little bit too politely Michael you're saying well is he gonna do these things it, it seems to me like in the back of your mind you're thinking this guy's not doing any of this stuff he's not gonna be adjusting he's no. gonna be the same Mike Budenholzer is that where you're coming from or are you hoping for better this year I, I I hope that he makes adjustments I like coaches who aren't afraid to deviate from what they did during the regular season and maybe the fact that we are so removed from the regular season will incentivize or motivate coach bud to switch things up but i don't know i mean it's really hard to be super confident every time he speaks publicly or even privately from everything that you read uh you know he doesn't seem like he believes that his own philosophy is a reason for their their struggles last year in the playoff series against the raptors but it would just be really fun if he you know with someone like Giannis. Like, forget about playing him more minutes and switching up the rotation and and all that, but just, like, playing him at all these different positions and trying to figure out different roles for him if things aren't going their way. I would just be fascinated to see how that looked. Have you ever had a situation with your wife or, like, a roommate, Michael, where they just do something that drives you absolutely crazy, but you know deep in your heart that they're never going to be able to do the full opposite, like, the the way that you want them to do it? So you start to do that compromise thing where it's like, okay, maybe they're messy. So you know they're not going to be completely clean. It's just never going to happen. But if they can just keep 
the clothes off the floor in one particular area, that's like enough for you, right? Does this ring a bell at all in your interpersonal relationships? Oh, 100%. I bring yeah. this, uh, right. Um, well, maybe we can dig into that here in some couples counseling <laughs> in a moment. But I bring that up because that's how I feel with Coach Bud. I don't need him to be this Mr. Crazy Creative Adjustment Nick Nurse 2.0. I just need him to play Giannis 40 minutes a night and maybe 42 <laughs> minutes a night. If he will just do that, that's the only thing that I'm requesting. I will not criticize him on any other topic during these playoffs if I can just get that. That's fair. And I, I mean, are you confident that that will happen? Because I'm really I'm No, not. I'm giving him a lifeline here. <laughs> I'm giving him the boat. I'm saying, come on, man, save this relationship. Just give me an inch. I'm not asking for a mile. And even in a situation where, like, like I don't know. I don't know how the four months off and, you know, there's been articles written about, <clears throat> like, the, the, uh, I, the idea that there will be more muscle tissue related injuries because of it and just how players are going to respond physically to all this layoff and then all of a sudden you you're ramping up to a playoff intensity like does that decrease the likelihood that someone like bud would actually extend Giannis's minutes and play him 44 45 46 minutes in a in a, an elimination playoff game like I don't know because he's super young still and they obviously don't want to have him suffer a long-term injury particularly with his free agency coming up so I, I think it is really interesting and I just yeah I'm I'm not bullish on on bud changing you know in a way that I would like to see I hear you. All right, let's get through some more of your X factors, Michael. How do you want to rank these? The biggest stars, the guys who you're most interested in, random alphabetical order. Hit me with one of yours and, and tell me how we're doing this. I, I think, I mean, for the, the order that I have right now is just completely random. I'm just going to be upfront with you on that one. So it's really difficult to kind of, I mean, I have like Mike Budenholzer smack dab in the middle. So. Uh, that kind of tells you everything you need to know. But I think I'm going to kick it off with a name that is super popular, that it is really recently in the news as of today that I think you want to talk about. And that is Zion Williamson, who I can't help but consider a humongous X factor for a team that, while not a championship contender, has the type of schedule and a path towards making the playoffs if he performs up to the ability that I think you and I think he can. Um, now, we just learned today that he is... Yeah, let, let me reset it sure. real quick. So the, the Pelicans have announced Zion Williamson had to leave the Orlando bubble on Thursday morning to, quote, attend to an urgent family medical matter and that he intends to rejoin the Pelicans down the road. Uh, David Griffin in the statement said, we fully support Zion's decision to leave the campus to be with his family. Out of respect for the Williamson family, we will have no further comment at this time. So, Michael, we don't want to speculate. It's not clear if the if the urgent uh, medical matter involves Williamson himself or his one of his family mm -hmm. members. We just don't know. And, um, you know, clearly there's going to be an entire process for him to be able to come back in to basically be re-quarantined. Um, in that type of situation so it's it's scary I'll be honest it shook me up before we uh, started talking on the podcast I'm sure you could hear it in my voice you know I root for this guy uh, because of what he means to the sport and and to the comeback they've got him on opening night which is really about two weeks away 
um, from today. So I guess we just cross our fingers, hope for the best for him, hope that he can get back in time to play that game. But ultimately, if he can't, we just hope he's with his family and taking care of what needs to be taken care of. Yeah, we hope everything is okay and that this isn't too serious, whatever it is. Uh, But just like real quick, framing this as... Uh, him as a basketball player and what he could bring to the table if he does come back, which we really, fingers crossed, he does because uh, first and foremost, I, you know, you hope everything is, everyone is safe and healthy. Um, and then secondary, we love watching Zion Williamson play basketball. And the Pelicans were so much better this year when he was on the floor, particularly on the defensive end. And that's probably a little fluky. But he did impact things on the offensive end a ton. and Oh, in a big-time yeah. way. Can I underscore that? Usually when the young guys come in, especially rookies, and he was a teenager until he just turned 20 here recently, you can always go to real plus-minus, and they will just kind of expose a young guy's stats as fraudulent, right? It's like, oh, yeah, well, he's, he's a rookie. He's getting 20 points. And you look at the real plus-minus, and like his team is just getting crushed when he's on the court. Zion, granted, he only played in 19 games. He ranked 12th in the league in real plus minus, a major positive on offense and a major positive on defense. And you rarely see that among young guys, uh, you know, from a defensive standpoint, coming in and at least being able to to have a positive impact. Now, is he the most disciplined uh, defender and team defender at this stage, you know, of his career? No. Was he in the best shape to cover ground defensively? Not really. But it's just the energy, it's the impact, the relentlessness, all that stuff adds up. I mean, he's up there in the same kind of conversation from a real plus minus standpoint as, you know, your uh, favorite player in the entire universe, Jason Tatum. He's right there with Luka Doncic, uh, you know, not too far behind guys like Chris Paul, Kawhi Leonard. Um, Superstar level impact in his first 20 games. And you just do not see that from young guys. So, you know, if you're saying X Factor, who can change a game from a loss to a win? He's on that list. 1,000%. I mean, just to get a little more nitty-gritty, like what he does on the offensive glass alone is superhuman. You know, there's all the the clips of him, you know, ripping the ball away from defensive rebounders and just putting it back up, or just the way he can play volleyball and and just bounce the ball off the rim or off the glass to himself is ridiculous, and it's reflected in the numbers. Uh, you know, he barely played at the five, which I think might be his long-term natural position in the NBA. But when he was playing the five, the Pelicans outscored opponents by 21.9 points per 100 possessions, which is just like, uh, it, it would be like if the, if Michael Jordan played on the 2017 Warriors with everybody else, that's like what that number reflects. They were just a ridiculous juggernaut. So uh, Zion is awesome, and I think the NBA really, really, really hopes that he is able to come back, particularly for opening night, which that's kind of, they frame the whole schedule around him. And as I said earlier, the Pelican schedule is lined up to be pretty easy relative to every other team that's playing. So you just want him to be there, and you want him to, I think it's safe to say everyone who, who likes the NBA outside of Memphis, maybe really wants to see Zion versus the Los Angeles Lakers in the first round. No, that's the show. I mean, that's that's kind of why we're down here. I mean, that's kind of where it's it's trending, it's headed. That's, you know, obviously you, you want it to play out on their own timeline, but you also want to see the best players do what they do, and, and that's how it would work if, if he shows up like that. I'm curious, did you have any other people who are in that Western Conference bubble chase 
on your X Factors list? I'm talking Sacramento mm-hmm. or Portland or Memphis. Was there a guy on one of those teams who's kind of in an X Factor off with Zion here? I did not. I mean, off the top of my head, I, I would look at Portland for sure, and I would look at the two bigs, Zach Collins and Yusuf Nurkic, just because we didn't really see them play basketball this year. So, I think Nurkic has to be the guy, yeah. right? I mean, when when he was going before the injury, Portland was scary good, and he fits really well with Lillard and McCollum. Mm-hmm. They just all their personalities are aligned. Their games are pretty well aligned. And their pecking order is clear. They just get it, right? There's not this like push and pull between your best players. He looks like he's in great shape from the videos I've seen. Uh, you know, you never know how you're going to recover quickly after a leg injury. So that's problematic. Uh, he's had a little bit more time probably than he expected to get right. The, the X factor part comes in though with Hassan Whiteside because they're talking about trying to play these guys together um, <laughs> or potentially he's going to have to... No. Uh, you know, supplant Hassan Whiteside at center, right? And then you have to kind of take away his minutes. Does that mean that you lose Whiteside, uh, you know, who feels like he's being passed over? That's a delicate coaching, you know, situation to handle for Terry Stotts. So you've got the health question. You've got the possible major impact of his return. And then you also have the position battles. That's a lot of X-factor juice right there. Yeah, and just a quick stat for all the people who are Whiteside stands, uh, Damian Lillard has assisted more of Whiteside's baskets than any other teammate assisted any other teammate's baskets, except for LeBron to Anthony Davis this season. So obviously they were able to develop significant chemistry with each other and they made it work. And Whiteside is, when he wants to be, a total beast on both ends, particularly the defensive end when he actually is engaged in trying. Um that said, like I kind of agree with everything that you just said about Nurkic and his compatibility with McCollum and Dame, and the success that the success that they had last year before he suffered that gruesome uh, leg injury. So I just I, that's one thing I'm really going to have my eye on because that's a team that it just like New Orleans is going to be battling for that eighth seed. On our episode, I don't know if it was last week or recently. I kind of was prodding you a little bit about Kemba's health, his mm-hmm. knee, and it sounds like there's some discomfort. He's just not sure. I was, I mean, I'm curious, is Kemba, you know, all trolling aside, is he on your list of X factors? I feel like he needs to be there, doesn't he? Because this would be his first postseason, uh, you know, chance at a real deep run uh, with a loaded team. He is, uh, you know, do, he's had his moments in the playoffs, you know, hitting some shots here and there, but he hasn't been that guy to put a team on his back. He, was, he missed some time health-wise during the season, you know, allowing Tatum to kind of flourish at his best moments. I wouldn't call it tension there uh, between them at all, you know, in terms of like pecking order stuff, but there is a balance that's going to have to be struck with the whole team back healthy. Would you have him on your list or did you have somebody else from the Celtics? Um, <laughs> so I I would have had Kemba Walker on this list. You know, he, he kind of, falls into the exact criteria that I would be looking for in an X Factor for all the reasons that you outlined. I just didn't want to, like, I'm a superstitious person. I, I, he, at the same time, I'm just like, everything is going to be fine with his knee. He'll be okay. Uh, Offensively, I know what I'm getting with Kemba. And also defensively, I know what I'm getting with Kemba, which is, I think that the, you know, as they go deeper in the playoffs, teams will try to attack him. So I, 
in my head, I, I think I know where I am and where I stand with Kemba. But yeah, I mean, you can't really deny the the knee injury is and the lingering uh, discomfort that he has felt with it. The fact that it, they have to bring him along slowly right now. I don't know if they're just being super cautious or if it's uh, an actual issue. Um, it is definitely something to be concerned about, though, if you're a Celtics fan. And I'm just trying to be as optimistic as I can about it. I'm really upset at you for even bringing this up right now. I was in a good mood beforehand. Well, you know what they say, democracy dies in darkness, <laughs> Michael. We can't we can't run away from the stories that we don't like. Certainly, we can't give passes, mm-hmm. uh, you know, here willy-nilly here and there. Is it crazy for me to argue that he's the biggest X factor in this whole thing, or is that overstating? I, I kind of am there, really. I mean, you could even say guys like Westbrook might be a bigger one, um, in part because of his recent health. We just have no idea what's going to happen with Houston. You know, is he going to be available? How's that going to shake out? Uh, we're assuming that he will be. Um, and just the nature of his game is so volatile. You know, it, it could work. It could really not work. We've, we've seen struggles in the playoffs before. I just think that like a lot of what Boston wants to do is reliant upon Kemba being very helpful, right? And it's not his fault he's small, and it's not his fault that he's coming off uh, a knee issue. I just think that that puts him under the microscope. No, I mean, you're 100% true and accurate with it. Like, when you have someone who jacks up as many pull-up threes with the accuracy that he does, you're obviously a focal point of an offense, and Boston's offense is really good with Kemba on the floor and not as good when he's not on the floor. And as good as Jason Tatum has been and as impressive as Jalen Brown has been, and even someone like Gordon Hayward in spots this season, although he's still been a little bit inconsistent and will probably have to leave the bubble at some point because of the birth of his first son. Um, Yeah, I would say that Kemba is critical. And so if you're talking about a team that is a title contender, which I think the Celtics are, I think they're one of five or six legitimate teams that can win it all. Uh, yeah, he was an all-star. He was one of their all-stars, one of their two all-stars. And so if he is not 100%, they're just, that drops them down a little bit in the, in the pecking order for sure. All right, Michael, I'm going to get you back to happier okay. times. Let's, let's do another one from your X Factors list for a team that you're trying to kill. Who would it be? <laughs> um, I want to talk about Victor Oladipo for a second. Oh, who wants to kill the I don't, Pacers? No, I don't, don't want to kill on. the Pacers. Who, who are they bothering? They're going to get swept by the Celtics in the first <laughs> round, just like every year. What are you worried I'm about? Just, I'm fascinated by this. I mean, this guy, obviously, for, he suffered this serious injury a long time ago, comes back this year, and isn't good at all you know shoots he's shooting the ball terribly he hits the buzzer beater and is in the I think it was his first game back and that was a nice story and then shot 30 percent from behind the line uh going forward from there and just hasn't looked like an all-nba anything like an all-nba player um you know he announced a couple weeks ago that he wasn't going to play and then there was a story about how there might be a dispute with his money owed from the league. The league thinks he does not, should not get it, and the, the players' union believes that he should. I believe it's like three million dollars or something like that. Um, and so now he's kind of changed his tune and said that he might 
play. And he's been practicing at 100%. Nate McMillan said that he's been going full bore with all three teams uh, in scrimmages. So, like, if he looks excellent when they come back, I I mean, like, does that change how we look at the Pacers? Because, like, the Pacers aren't, aren't like a a bad team, man. Like they have really talented pieces. And if he, he's able to coalesce somehow with Malcolm Brogdon and TJ Warren, who are kind of like the new guys who he hasn't spent a lot of minutes with. And then Sabonis, who he does have really good chemistry with and Miles Turner. I, I just think this team has a lot of talent and we might be, I don't think they can like go to the finals or anything, but they might be able to upset upset someone in the first round, and then who knows what could happen from there because of just how weird all of this is. Like, it's a huge if, but who the hell knows what's going on with Victor Oladipo right now? Yeah, and he's—I mean—he had an amazing season from a real plus-minus standpoint, from a stat standpoint, from a award standpoint when he first got yeah. there. Hasn't been the same guy since. What I'm worried about, Michael, is that this whole saga from the last month is financially motivated, not basketball-oriented, mm-hmm. right? Because he comes out and says he's he's out, right? But he's going to travel with the team. Now, all of a sudden, he's practicing and supposedly look, looking good. There's some question about, you know, was his salary going to be available to him if he doesn't play? I mean, that to me, that sounds not great for their organization, short-term and long-term. You want him playing if he's comfortable and playing, not worried about his paycheck, number one. And number two, you don't want to be the organization that's kind of guilt-tripping your guy into playing so that you're going to pay him because he's going to be a free agent in the not-too-distant future, right? If I was a player, I would remember that. I would want my organization to say, hey, you're a franchise guy. We're trying to build this thing around you. If you're not comfortable from a health standpoint, stay home you know we don't want you to force it we're definitely going to pay you no matter what because you're that important to us you can't be the organization that's like you know what sorry uh times are tough here we can't sell tickets and jerseys we need you to show up and play otherwise we're going to try to withhold that paycheck you can't be that team and so that's why i almost wonder if this is if this saga is winding up to be a net negative for the pacers rather than actually like boosting their playoff chances am i being too cynical here but that's how i read it I want to be more fair to the Pacers as an organization because everything I've read about this, you know, Kevin Pritchard, who's their president of basketball ops, and Chad Buchanan, who's their general manager, have been super supportive publicly and behind the scenes with Victor Oladipo and whatever he wants to do. He is their franchise player. They see him that way. They want to re-sign him. It is critical that they re-sign him when he's a free agent and he doesn't go to a team like the Miami Heat or whoever else would have uh, him in their sights. Um, when I read about this particular money issue, uh, uh, there's a note in, I believe it was Brian Winhorst's story on ESPN.com, where it said the Pacers were willing to pay Victor Oladipo the money regardless, which, and it was a league versus union issue. And I don't know because of how, uh, abnormal all of this is whether or not it's different from it would be normally be i don't understand why the league would get involved in something like this it seems like it would be a player team player organization matter um but yeah so i just want to point that out and be a little more fair to the pacers who I mean, to what you're saying, for sure, I agree. If they were trying to, you you wouldn't, I I just, it would not be smart business, short or long term, to try to get, to fight uh, 
a, a player for money right now, especially someone as important and high profile as Victor Oladipo is. So I just I can't believe that they're yeah, doing well, that. Yeah, well, I mean, they've had ownership issues mm-hmm. in the past with spending. I mean, that's been a problem for them. I guess what I'm I'm actually seeing another situation play out right now in the WNBA with Elena Deladon of the Washington Mystics. I mean, basically reigning MVP, you know, coming off a title, and she's kind of getting pushed and pulled by the league office, you know, over health clearance with her Lyme disease. And I think with some of these situations, it's like you have to figure these things out face-to-face behind closed doors. You can't let those kinds of questions come into the public. It's just such a bad look. It's I mean, gross. It goes yeah. past PR, you know? It's, it's just not great. And so... Hopefully it gets cleaned up. I'd be excited to watch him play for sure, but I'm not excited to watch him play if he's concerned about his body. I'll say that. And I would still tell him, like, don't chase the short-term money here if that's kind of how this is playing out. You've got a lot of future money coming uh, on your next contract, Victor Oladipo. So, you know, be cautious and be smart about it. And, uh, you know, I, I just wish him well. And just, I mean, and part of it is because, like, you know, going through all these testing procedures down here, it really feels like a privilege, Michael. It's like not every person around the country has access to you know tests coming back in 15 hours and a website they can log on to get the results. And you know you feel like there's a lot of medical people at your disposal, um, you know, living here in the bubble. And so it just kind of brings those kinds of questions about health and priorities and, and long-term thinking to the front of your mind. And the last thing I would want is an all-star level player go in the other direction for for uh, you know pressure purposes uh, or something like that. So I hope uh, I hope it gets settled. I hope he's able to provide clarity on his thinking and and how this whole process has played out. And then I can I hope we move forward one way or the other with him or without him, uh, but uh, you know not in between where he's sort of you know feeling obliged to do it for some reason. All right, who are your other? x-factors michael keep them coming i'm loving this list so this guy is on a team in the eastern conference that i love and we've talked about him a a little bit over the past couple months um but he's just one of those characters who's just a total mystery to me right now which is why i had to include him and he is andre iguodala of the miami heat and i i just he's third the eternal he's, X-Factor, right? I mean, we're talking like five straight playoff years with him as an right. X-Factor. He's 36 years old, uh, obviously did not play before the trade deadline, was moved from Memphis to Miami, played, I think, like 14 games uh, in various lineups, in various roles. Uh, if you go back, I don't know how much you watched of him actually play uh, before the season was suspended, but I went back and I was watching some clips of him some of his uh, just field goal attempts, basic field goal attempts. And there were two straight plays against the Washington Wizards where he had space at the top of the key with the ball and Davis Bertans on him, and he couldn't drive by Davis Bertans. And that is just like <laughs> a humongous red flag for me, obviously. And both those possessions were he had to settle with pull-up mid-range jumpers that clanged off the back rim. So you said that with such disdain, like you feel right now in a gym, you could break off Davis Bertans. Like that was that was the level of of uh, angst I heard in your voice. It's like if you can't do it, I'm out here. I could do it, Andre. I mean, you're you're going after this guy. I do not think that I could do that, but I I have more faith and confidence in Iguodala than what I saw. And like, if you're just looking at Miami in kind of how they're constructed now, I think they're best lineups in the playoffs are going to come with Bam at a bio at the five. And so 
I just sure. wonder if Iguodala can be as consistent and effective maybe as a small ball four. I don't know if he can shoot the ball as well as they'll need from him in that spot, but if he can just be the primary wing defender that he was when he was with Golden State, that is humongous in just about any matchup that Miami faces. And, I mean, this guy, like, I just was bagging on his inability to drive by Davis Bertans, but, like, what his role would be in Miami is just as an off-ball cutter, and he's one of the smartest off-ball cutters of all time. Uh, So, again, there's really no guarantee that he can find the right chemistry with teammates he barely knows, but I I don't know, like, if if it clicks for him... What does that do to Miami Heat and their ability to make like a shocking run? Because I'm a big, I'm really bullish on the Miami Heat, and maybe more so than you. But I I like, I I think that there's like a conceivable possibility, a sliver of a chance that they get to the conference finals. It's really interesting. If they're going to do it, they're going to need him. There's like no other way around it because every single one of those matchups is going to require what he brings to the table as, as a complimentary option, as a corner three-point shooter potentially, but mostly as the experienced defensive on-ball guy with great hands, right? I mean, that's how he's going to be uh, you know, impacting these types of games. I've done X-Factors list for a number of years, Michael, and sometimes you look back after <laughs> the fact and you're like, wow, we actually thought that guy was going to make a difference, and that's not how it played out at all. I wonder if Iguodala is a candidate for that, you know? I wonder if we're like, well, you know, we had the right logic on why he would matter, but he just wound up not really mattering. I wonder if it's going to go that way. I hope he matters. (laughs) It's just, it's sad. If this is... if Me too. I'm not trying to be a jerk. No, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I just worry. I worry from an age standpoint and just the layoff standpoint too. It's been a long time, more than a year since he's played like real, real basketball. Um, So... All right, well, give me a couple more rapid-fire X-Factors to close this thing out, Michael, because we've got one question at the end that I know you're dying to address. (laughs) I can't wait. Uh, So this is a superstar, and we talked about him when he tested positive for COVID, uh, Nikola Jokic. I am just... I have no idea what this dude is going to look like uh, 40 pounds lighter, how that will impact his game whether or not he'll be able to assert himself as the... I, I mean, do you think he's a top 10 player? I would say he's... A, he he, he kind of yes. gets forgotten. For yeah, sure. So if you're a top 10 player, as I, I think smart people like you and I or just you uh, think he is, then... Oh, Michael, don't be <laughs> fake humble. I mean, That's look, all genuine, baby. You either be humble... Yeah, okay. You're either humble or you're not humble. Don't fake uh, it. <laughs> and so, I, like... I wonder, like, is he going to be a liability on the defensive end? Is he actually going to carry Denver uh, and make them seem like a more reputable contender? Does he not have enough help? Like, what is, what's the deal here with Jokic? Because he was really good in last year's postseason, and I don't know if he'll be able to carry it over. I have a question for you. Um, I've been given a lot of thought on these superstar level players of like who's going to be more fun to watch or who maybe is going to be less fun Mm -hmm. to watch without the crowd. And like Curry's not going to be here, obviously, but Curry's like the most fun guy to watch with a crowd, right? If you take away the crowd, is watching Curry as fun as it normally would be? Like if he just makes seven threes in a row, does that feel like you're just kind of watching a three-point contest? Now, alternately, it seems like everybody hates watching Harden, uh, especially when he's in the road environment, crowds getting angry, he's chasing fouls and all that. 
if you put him in an empty gym, does it feel more like the Drew League? Does he become like a more entertaining player to watch? I kind of wonder, what do you think about for Jokic? Because I almost wonder if you're in an empty gym and he's just whizzing a no-look pass to a cutter in space and you don't see it coming, that might look cooler. Like it might actually be better to watch Jokic. And, you know, part of it is that the Denver crowd's not the best, you know, so I don't always feel like he's completely appreciated. I'm wondering if you just put him in this weird environment where like it does feel like a pickup run. Now you can kind of relate to like that pickup life. You know, all of us, uh, you know, former amateur athletes mm-hmm. can be like, oh, yeah, you know, we, we almost did something sort of like, you know, related to the NBA. And then you just imagine Jokic pulling up to your pickup game with like no look behind the back bounce passes to cutters that are like not even visible to anyone else. I wonder if he's going to become even more entertaining to watch or am I just making all no, this No, I mean, he's a joy. Uh, like just thinking about what it would be if he threw one of his ridiculous lead passes, like no look on a string to Gary Harris. Like, could you imagine, uh, like the, the players sitting courtside, like ooing and eyeing and us actually being able to hear them because he's the kind of guy who makes those plays where he's like your favorite player your favorite center's favorite center that sort of thing it's like he does things that impress even the pros well i'm also wondering like is it possible that he throws one of those passes a guy's not ready for it and the ball just like (laughs) caroms off a coronavirus test taker who's like in a hazmat suit like i mean do we need to put up like you know be careful Jokic is on the court signs you know letting everybody know uh you know, just uh, keep your eyes up, you know, be, be paying attention. Um, it's a great selection for your X Factor. I mean, the whole Nuggets team is like the X Factor of this field, right? It's like, are they going to be the team that they claim to be? You know, Jamal Murray saying, hey, we're going to be a, a championship contender. Or are they going to be the team that all the skeptics think they are? You know, just kind of a paper tiger and a cute story and not a team you have to take seriously. Like that, that whole team I've got circled for sure. All right, maybe one or two more here, Michael. What do you think? Okay, so I have another superstar, and I don't really know if he belongs on this list, but I just kind of want to talk about him for a couple minutes. Uh, Anthony Davis. He is not someone who I would typically put on an X-Factor list, but this is just like really uncharted waters for him. These are his first playoffs with championship expectations, and there's like at the same time, these are his first playoffs without, like, there's no bullseye on him to carry the load. He's not the face of everything. The pressure will not necessarily be on him and his shoulders as they have been in the past because LeBron James is his teammate. So I just wonder, like, what is he just going to be, like, up to that certain bar that we expect from Anthony Davis? Or will there be a possibility that he disappoints? It's a very, very good question. I think I'm actually a little bit more optimistic on Davis for a couple of reasons. First of all, do you remember his series against the Blazers a couple of years ago? Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Ridiculous, right? I mean, there was those moments where it's like, wow, all these like Kevin Garnett comparisons or whoever else you want to put in that conversation is like, oh my God, this guy really does have the ability to do it. And it was crazy because he was doing it in the playoffs against a guard dominant team. And, and normally conventional wisdom now says if you, you know, if it's a guard versus big matchup, the guard's going to win. Right. Uh, in terms of superstars. And he flipped that completely upside down and looked ridiculous. You also start to think, OK, no Rondo. 
uh, no Avery Bradley. So you have to redistribute the, the responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's going to go onto LeBron's shoulders first, right? But the whole idea of the AD trade was to have another guy who could shoulder major burden in those kinds of moments. And he's such a multi-talented player. He can create a shot if he needs to. Um, it's not always my favorite looks, but he can do it. Um, you know, he settles for those mid-rangers a little bit too much for my liking, but that can be a helpful bailout shot in a certain situation. He can get to the free throw line, right? Uh, he can shoot from outside. He can you know, take a dribble, attack the basket. He can just put you into scramble defensive mismatches. He can draw help and, and set up those chain passes for the Cantavius Caldwell Popes and J.R. Smiths of the world, right? So there's a lot he can do that's helpful. And we do need to see him kind of do the 2016 Kyrie, 2012 Dwayne Wade step up as a monster number two option during these playoffs. And I think he's he's up to the task, man. He had a really nice year this year. Um, he's not your, your typical dominant alpha personality on or off the court. Um, and I think that makes him a pretty nice fit. And I think his pairing with LeBron was seamless. You know, they were monsters in terms of a two-man pairing. And, and so I hope we continue to see that in the playoffs as well. I think he absolutely deserves to be on this list. Great pick, Michael. You finally got one almost an hour. <laughs> Appreciate in. it. Uh, I, you know, I initially said that I don't think um, that he will have the type of pressure on him with LeBron also on the team. But, like, there is that fact that... Uh, you know, as you were talking, I kind of wanted to go back and reverse my opinion there. I think that actually, like, the spotlight will be on him more, particularly in those lineups where uh, he's not on the floor with LeBron. And those lineups this season have been pretty bad. And so when, and a lot of them were with Rondo too, uh, handling the ball quite a bit. And they have pretty good chemistry, those two. So I think it's uh, it's just going to be really interesting to see how Frank Vogel toggles the rotations with those two players, uh, Bradley and Rondo, not being available. And I'm, I, you know what I see? I see Western Conference Finals coming, and LeBron's back to like 2007 minute allotment where he's going like 46 a night. That's kind of what I see. And <laughs> Vogel's doing that thing where like LeBron looks to the bench for a little gas and Vogel's like looking a different direction, pretending he doesn't see him, you know, still riding LeBron. That's how I would play it, man. I do not feel comfortable with those. I mean, you're telling me I have to live or die by running LeBron into the ground or playing waiters as a lead ball handler. (laughs) Forget about it. That's the easiest decision. I'm sorry. I know I might sound like Tom Thibodeau right now. I'm running LeBron into the ground in these playoffs. I might be trying to save him the first two rounds, but by the time the Western Conference Finals and Finals come around, I'm saying, you know, be okay, ready I have to play one quick question like for you then on this subject. Let's say, hypothetically, uh, Lakers are tied in the first round or second round against like a, uh, a Nuggets team, a Rockets, someone like that who's pretty good. It's 2 2, game five. LeBron sprained his ankle like really bad at the end of game four, and he is not going to be available for game five. Do you just write off the Lakers, or are you like, we're about to get an epic Anthony Davis game? No, I'm putting LeBron (laughs) in a cast on the court and telling him he's playing 46 minutes. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. It's not going to be an ankle sprain that that, uh, changes my philosophy on that. And by the way, LeBron's never missed a playoff game. He would not miss a playoff so, game for so an ankle sprain. So your answer so, is just uh, like literally – so you have no confidence in Anthony Davis is kind of what I, I took away from that response. No, 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 no. I'm just saying like 
Anthony Davis with that group of ca uh, cast of characters around him and no lead playmakers other than Dion Waiters, that's not going to be an Anthony Davis situation. That's going to be, we blame it all a, on the supporting cast situation. situation. So, um, right. And like, I thought they did a pretty good job given the circumstances, mm. remolding their roster. They got more out of their role players than I thought they would at the start of the season. Um, but that's asking an awful lot of, of an Anthony Davis in that situation. And, you know, part of their success against the Blazers really came down to Drew Holiday yep. just being a monster, right? And if you're taking LeBron off the court, who's that Drew Holiday? I don't, I don't see that guy on the Lakers roster. Maybe it's Alex Caruso if you believe, uh, you know, the Bleacher Report tweets, but uh, you know, probably not. Um, by the way, I, I love the Alex Caruso meme stuff, so that was not a okay. shot at anybody. I just, uh, you know, he's he's not Drew Holiday. Um, can we close here real quick? Just list off a couple of your other X factors. Don't need to explain them. Just so other actually, we, we talked about all of them except one. Uh, so I guess I'll just list his name. Luka Doncic. Oh, yeah. Great one. Great one. Well, let's not even just stop there. <laughs> Give me more. Feed me. Feed me your I Luka mean, content. I can't get enough. this led the best offense in the entire NBA. Uh as I mean, this is the second season. We've like basically never seen anything like this before, and this will be his first postseason. So I want to see how opponents attack him on the defensive end. I want to see what he looks like in crunch time. I want to see what shape he's in because that that was a topic of conversation beforehand that might have been blown a little bit out of the water because of uh, some miscommunication, a lost in translation statement from his trainer. But I'm just really curious. Like, I don't really care how good you are during the regular season. When you're that young and you've never tasted the playoffs before, even a postseason that is completely unprecedented in terms of environment, I, I'm i just fascinated to see how he'll do. And I, I'm, I don't want to sound like I'm down on him being successful. I'm just really interested to see uh how he kind of holds up going up against the same team you know four times trying to beat the same team four times in seven tries i'll tell you this i was down on him even though i you know people i picked him as most improved player this year i think he's top 10 player already in the nba um i love everything that he represents his commitment to the sport the fact that he got in on like the luxury cars and jordan sneakers really <laughs> early you know i just the whole thing Everything about him besides the jersey number 77, which I wish was just seven, um, you know, I'm, I'm all about Luka. I had a great time going down to visit Dallas this year and just seeing how he's taking that city by storm from a basketball perspective. I was down on him heading into the playoffs back in April because of going on the road to start, um, having everybody throw a bunch of attention your way. Uh, like you're saying, defensive adjustments and just the first time through is tough. And I was thinking, you know, this could be kind of a humbling moment. Now I feel like in Orlando, no road crowd doesn't really necessarily matter your seed. If they can avoid the Clippers, that would be huge for them. I would actually give them a chance to win a series over a lot of those teams in the middle of the pack in the West. And the bottom line is this guy's just amazing playmaker and he could do it in so many different ways. And he's super fun to watch. And he's an empty gym guy too. I really want to watch this guy play five on five in an empty gym. I'm just excited about the prospect of seeing that. So um, for all those reasons, great X factor. You know, we still need to see, you know, exactly what's his conditioning mm -hmm. look like. There are some questions there. Um, we still need to see, you know, is is he ready for the moment? You know, is, there's no shame in not being ready when you're as young as he is. Um, so, you know, I think he kind of comes in without major pressure or expectations. It's kind of a, you know, a no-lose, all-win uh, type of situation, and I love it. All right, Michael, I want to close up here 
by reading your fan mail again, bro. You're just getting all this fan mail. I can barely sift through it, all right? This is from Cameron, and he writes in. He says he's an English teacher, and he says, I love that the pod is a super reader. Passionate readers are my favorite people. And then he goes on to list like 42 different books that he's reading. I'm going to spare people on that one. But he continues, I might be the only one who's nerdy enough to want this, but I wondered about a recurring section at the end of the podcast uh, where the pod can discuss and review his most recent reads. You could call it, quote, the pod reads. And Michael, I just want to let Cameron know he is not the only person nerdy enough to want this because you can verify about a month ago when we didn't know if we were going to have the NBA's comeback. I was going to give you a section of these podcast episodes to do exactly this. Remember, mm-hmm. we described, we discussed this. Um, so can you, first of all, confirm that I'm not just stealing Cameron's idea, that I also had the great idea? And then second of all, I was hoping, can you you know kick off this series, The Pod Reads, with maybe one recent book that you've read that you think fits this moment of excitement and anxiety about basketball coming back. Do you have a book that's kind of in that category? <laughs> uh, first, I will confirm that you had this exact idea as well. So great minds think alike. Um, it's it's kind of difficult, I would say, to pick a book that matches this energy just because what I've personally been interested in uh, over the past couple months is just educating myself as much as possible about social justice initiatives and the plight of black Americans historically. And it's been something I've long, uh, that's long been important to me. And I've been already, I would say pretty educated more than the average person, but really taking it to a different level and, and crossing off books that were like really intimidating that were on my bucket list and just getting them out of the way now. So, one of those books, which might be my new all-time favorite book, or just like it is a book that in terms of scope and degree of difficulty, like Ben, you'll appreciate this as a writer, just like reading it, I was like constantly wondering how the writer did what she did on every page. And it was just like one LeBron chase down block of Iguodala after the next, like just a ridiculously impressive book with reporting and writing. And that is the one. <laughs> it's yeah. like marvelous, right? When you're when you're literally marveling, yeah. I love that feeling. There's, there's no, almost so no it, better feeling. It, like right? it is kind of soul crushing, though, when you are also a writer and you're like, I could, I, I can't do this. Like I don't know how this person is so ridiculously talented. Well, I know that happens for me too. When I see Zion dunk, I'm just like, you know, I my dunks just don't really stack up. You know, I think this could mm-hmm. be a part of getting older, Michael. Um, I used to be very competitive like that. If I read something that someone else wrote, I would get jealous. You know, I would get a little bit self-loathing. Now when I read it, I'm much more like, uh, you know, chamomile tea in my (laughs) rocking chair type vibe where I just, I can actually like appreciate it. It doesn't always have to be this competition. It doesn't always have to be this like, you know, horrific self-assessment about my own value and I can just kind of sit back and appreciate. So those kinds of marvelous books. Okay, I would so you'll love right this one, man. It is The Warmth of Other Suns by Isabel Wilkerson. I I cannot, I guess I should say what it's about first. It, it is about the, uh, the Great Migration from about 1915 to 1970 where... Uh, black Americans living in the South, which at the time was a vast majority of them 
uh, migrated to the Midwest and the Northeast and California and settled in places like Los Angeles and Cleveland and Detroit and Philadelphia and New York and Harlem and Boston. And that's where you see, I mean, those people obviously in Chicago also, and that's where they had, they settled and they had families and it kind of spread uh, a particular culture and uh, just allowed for different opportunities that obviously would not have been able to uh, be created if those people did not have the bravery and the aspiration to leave their homes and their families to venture to uh, a completely unknown worlds. So it's just like totally breathtaking. It's about 700 pages, which is what I was referencing when I was saying that it was a little intimidating. I I do not mean to brag, but uh, to give hope to people who see that as something that they can't conquer. I read it in about six days. And that's just more a testament to how engrossing it is and how fascinating all the uh, the, the stories that are told uh, that you kind of come across. You can't put the book down. It's just amazing. I, I could go on and on and on with positive things to say about it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't even really know what else to say. It's incredible. And I guess that's the first book that I'd recommend for whatever this pseudo book club is. It's, it's called the pod reads. I love it. I'm sure Cameron loves it. Maybe we're going to start getting like book club emails to openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com, where Maybe people are, you know, writing and reviewing uh, these books that you're telling everybody about, Michael. We have something to look forward to here um, in addition to the upcoming uh, NBA restart. I loved it. All right, guys, check us out on Apple Podcasts by searching for Open Floor. That's two words. When you get to our page, scroll down. It will say rate and review. If you're loving Michael's basketball takes, if you're loving the bubble coverage, if you're loving the pod reads, please give us a five-star review on there. It really helps us spread the word. Michael's on Instagram and Twitter at Michael V as in Victor Pina. I'm on Instagram at Ben Doc Oliver on Twitter at Ben Golver. Let me just ask you, please, to go check out my uh, first-person essay for the Washington Post. It's up on Thursday. It details kind of all the things I'm thinking about here in the NBA bubble, big picture stuff, um, and the nitty gritty details of what life is like here. Um, And I would also appreciate it if you don't subscribe to the Washington Post already, please consider it. I would not be here covering uh, this bubble without the Post financial support for them, you know, putting the money up to send me down here. I appreciate them doing that so much. And we all benefit, I think, from having uh, this, this access going forward for the next few months. And right now, it's only 29 bucks a year for the post. I mean, ridiculous deal. So go ahead and be sure to check that out. All right, Michael. Until next week when we're going to double back, hopefully with updates on which players are in attendance. Hopefully, they'll let me out of my hotel room at that point. I can kind of explore the bubble. Uh, until then, I will talk to you. Talk soon, Ben. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. 
Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.